1: Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. As we get together every weekday afternoon at this time, setting this time aside to answer questions for you about the Bible from the Bible. Maybe you've been reading your Bible, someone's asked you a question, went to church, heard something kind of unusual. Maybe you're just troubled about what you see going on in the newspaper. Well, whatever it is, we want to give you a good biblical answer for those questions that you may have. And that number to call again, 8888 ask CSN is the number to call, you can be part of the program today. we got some lines open, actually, so you're assured to get on if you call right now. Joining me today's special guest featured CSN speaker that comes on after To Every Man and Answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church,
3: Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, and welcome. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward to a great show and uh, lots of really good Bible questions. They're already coming in, got a few lines open, but uh, half of them are already filled, so... Give us a call and, uh, it's going to be a good show. I, I sense we're going to have just, just some good discussion on prophecy on, um, you know, just what, how does the Lord view what's going on in the world? In other words, if we look at it through a God lens, which is to look at it through scripture, then how do we interpret the events happening around us, especially in the Middle East? Because boy, it is never ending, uh, violence and you know Mike. one thing that has just shocked me and stunned me and of course not just myself but people all over the country and all over the world is the level of anti-semitism that was just sitting there sort of um i don't know uh silent uh to it to an extent in universities and different cities and american uh places of education and um Corporations and all kinds of places. Not to mention, anti-Semitism has risen its uh, raised its ugly head again in Germany. And who would have ever guessed that that the mm-hmm. Germans would let that happen again? But Australia, all, all through the West and Europe, there is this rabid, vitriolic, virulent anti-Semitism that's really uh, shocked me. You know that people yeah. would go there after watching the Holocaust, that they would go there.
1: Well, and after watching what Hamas did to the babies and everything like that, you know, if you're going to be the brave warriors and soldiers, why are you picking on babies and beheading them? Kind of shows you where their In front of the mentality mothers. is at. And this is one of the great problems we have. Shows you how badly America has been infiltrated. And uh, this is not the America of 50 years ago, unfortunately. Now we have... Uh, a woke, whacked America that really doesn't know what bathroom to go into uh, with mm-hmm. every single thing out of control. Boy, I'll tell you, it's good to know your name is written in the Book of Life. Keep it looking is. up. Our redemption draws nigh. And that's, again, what we want to focus upon in everything that we do is the soon return of Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have within us. And the Bible says, interestingly enough, comfort one another with these words concerning the rapture that, hey, one day soon we're out of here. Well, let's go to the phones. We have Myron on the line. Pensacola for I welcome.
4: Hi, Pastor. God bless you for your ministry. Um, My primary question is, I I ran across a guy on YouTube and um, he, um, his name is Bill Salas. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, Anyway, um, he's written some books on Um, Bible prophecy, but, um, I saw him speaking about, uh, Psalm 83 war and he was, he was saying that's basically what started now, uh, in Israel and he used several prophecies, um, from Isaiah 17 about the destruction of Damascus and, um, and he even went on to use, uh, um, Jeremiah uh twelve, uh fourteen through fifteen, where the Lord talks about that um that it, he'll pluck out the people from Israel and he'll pluck Israelis out of the nations around them and put them back in their land. Mm-hmm. But he claims that the uh this um Psalm eighty three war essentially that Israel will take out their enemies, per essentially become a Midi superpower. And um, that will I guess satisfy the condition for like the Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine war where it says that they'll come down when they're living in peace and in unwalled cities. So I yep. thought that was curious yep. and I'd even heard listen to Doctor mcgee on psalm 83 saying that he couldn't fit it in israel's history and he thought it was something in the future of course it yeah. was probably broadcast back in the 70s or something you know but
1: yeah so but but he... i i agree i agree with bill uh, bill Salas, i know him he's been on to every man and answer with me and um uh he uh is is very skilled in, in looking at um, the bible through a prophetic lens and um so no, I I believe that again this um is yet in the future. Um we do know what makes Israel a superpower in the last days is God fighting for Israel. In Ezekiel thirty-eight it talks about God's fury arises in his face and he destroys five sixths of this uh invading army of Russia. Uh the Bible uses the word um, uh, the the land of of Persia, which is really Iran, and Iraq, and part of Afghanistan. Uh, the, the we realize the Taliban is still very much in control of the government in in um, uh, Afghanistan, and in fact, Joe Biden is under congressional investigation. Of this reckless pullout that was done several years ago, leaving over $80 billion worth of American war technology there to the Afghans, uh, which will probably be used against certainly Israel or even us in the days to come. A- absolutely reckless uh, behavior for no reason. There was nothing that constrained America to get out within 30 days or 60 days. Uh, this was just a reckless abandonment. And I think it was deliberate to, to equip uh, the Taliban, the enemies of the United States, with modern uh, American warfare. And uh, we certainly know we have them. Uh, we have our enemies pouring across our southern border. We're financially broke uh america's family unit is about destroyed so no i i believe that as america rapidly rapidly on rails decreases as a world power i believe there will be these other nations that will step in and primarily the united nations uh which it seems that this is where america is headed to completely decimate america and have it overtaken by the United Nations. Um, and, uh, we, we know that Russia continues to saber rattle against the United States, bragging about their Satan 2 missiles almost weekly, um, uh, promising complete devastation. Uh, so, you know, it's really unusual. The Bible is not in biblical or, uh, United States is not in biblical prophecy, but we certainly know Russia, Israel, the, the area around there. The old uh, Roman Empire, which is Europe, is mentioned. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, Psalms 83 does have some echoes of, say, Ezekiel 38, because uh, just reading just a little bit, a couple of verses, verse 1, Don't keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God, for behold your enemies. Make a tumult. Those who hate you have lifted up their head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people. Now here... Here it starts. You sense an echo of Ezekiel thirty-eight, verse three. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, "Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no, no more." Now that sounds a whole lot like many of the uh, uh, Islamic nations of today, because they don't want just they don't want to just share the land with the Jewish people. Or even just kick the Jewish people out. They want the Jewish people to be no more. They, they don't want them on the planet anymore. So here in verse four where it says, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered, not even remembered anymore. For they have consulted together with one consent. Now that's, that's a smacks of a confederacy of different people groups or nations. Who are involved in this plot to cause the land of Israel to be so destroyed that it's not even remembered. So, and then he goes on to name some of the, the players involved that the psalmist, uh, writes of or prophesies of. And this is a psalm of Asaph, not David. So this is Asaph prophesying. And, uh, so, you know, the Ishmaelites, he names the Ishmaelites the tents of of Edom, the Edomites, Moab. Those are all Arabs today. Those are Arab people groups. So uh, I can see how uh, Bill would have thought and come to the conclusion this was predicting a Latter-day War. I don't know for sure, but it does, again, echo some of the phrases found in Ezekiel 38.
1: So I hope that helps.
4: Yeah, it does. Thank you.
1: Well, blessings to you. Stay on the line, and I'll send you out, God of Wonders, Time to Grow, and a special package that I have got from uh, Chuck Missler Ministries on the Book of Revelation. I'll send that to you for calling in today for our Thanksgiving gift to you. How's that?
4: Well, thank you.
1: Myron, stay on the line. We'll get you fixed up. Let's go to Steve, New Mexico. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. How may we help? yeah I had a question. Is it a like a where a Christian
4: and a Catholic go together is that is that allowed or something like that?
1: Well, I have met Catholics that are Christians. I have met uh, Christians that are not real Christians. Uh, I think it goes back to where the person's relationship with God is at again, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And this is one of the great problems. And being a Catholic doesn't make you necessarily bad or good or anything else. It's your personal relationship with Christ and what the Bible says. Now, if you believe that you're going to pay your way to Heaven, or by your way to salvation, you can pray to Mary or Jesus or any of the other the other saints and still make it to heaven. You got some real problems theologically. Now that m- might not necessarily make you not a Christian, but if you continue in those doctrines, I believe this could be a real problem because the Bible clearly says that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So with both persons, the man and the woman both have a relationship with God. They realize that Jesus is the only mediator. There is a common denominator for a relationship. You build on anything else, the Bible warns about building on the sandy land. It's going to crumble when the storms come. And so many relationships today are built on sand. And when the storms of life do come, such as financial issues, health issues, whatever it might be, well, their houses fall. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, if, if I were counseling a couple, one was Catholic, the other Protestant. Um, one thing that I would bring up, especially if they were a younger couple and looking to have a family is the day will come as soon as you have those kids, who's going to dedicate them? Right? Do they go to the Catholic church to be sprinkled and spoken over by a priest? Or do they go to a Protestant church, uh, for a baby dedication in that setting? And then further, when they decide to take the family to church, where are they going to go? Because you go to the Catholic church, you're going to be taught some false doctrines. I, I'm just being honest. There's no way around it. You're going to be taught all kinds of things that are not in the New Testament, you know, praying to Mary, um, and, um, you know, the rosary quote, you know, you know doing the ritual of the rosary beads, um, you know, believing in purgatory, uh, all kinds of things that, not to mention the Apocrypha that's included in their Bible, all kinds of things the Catholic Church teaches that we do not find in the New Testament. So you'll have to look at each other on that given day and say, all right, where are we going to raise our kids? Where are they going to go to church? And if one of the two don't bend, then you're going to have a divided family. Maybe mom's going to go off to the Catholic church with the kiddos, or they're going to split weekends or something like that. But needless to say, it will not be ideal. So that would be one of my real concerns. If you, if you're older and, um, you're going to marry somebody and kids are not in the picture, uh, then you're going to have to deal with the, the major, and I mean major doctrinal differences, because again, the Catholic church is particularly off biblically on a lot of different topics so i, I would caution marrying somebody uh, of a different persuasion in that respect unless the two of you talk it out beforehand and say hey we can live with each other's different beliefs and there you go so not impossible but there's some there's there's going to be some um bridges that need to be crossed
1: yeah, because, again, um, you know, like I say, if you know a Catholic, for instance, that's, you know, really born again, that loves Jesus, I, I have had great fellowship. On the other hand, if, you, you know, they're into feeling their, their beads and praying to statues and all that, you really do not have any common ground, Stephen. So I really believe it goes back to not so much uh their religion, but the relationship with Christ, I think, is so important. I hope that helps.
4: Yeah, I think she's more into the beads and stuff like that, you know, because after she prays, she doesn't say in Jesus' name, amen, or anything Mm -hmm.
1: like that. Yeah, I see. She may be a religious person, but religion won't get you to heaven. Religion doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, It's a personal relationship with Christ. And in fact, most of the religions of the world, Say you gotta get out there and earn it by doing lots of religious stuff, you know, literature door to door, selling flowers in the airport, wearing orange, eating organically grown food, you name it, that's what they'll have you doing to try to generate some kind of spirituality within you, giving all your money, joining the church, jumping through the, uh, the church's, uh, uh, mantras, you know, all these different things they got. Well, that's not what being a Christian is. And so a Christian, has to be very careful not to settle or be uh fooled by somebody that's a religious person cuz that doesn't make them born again. A religious person is just uh um uh, you know uh really just misled. And and so you in order to have a a meaningful relationship with somebody the Bible says that Christ is the foundation. And um Anything other than that's going to crumble away. Hope that helps.
4: Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you.
1: Hey, I'll send you a little book called time to grow. And, uh, it, it really defines more in depth what a Christian is. Perhaps you and her could read it together and just say, where do you stand in this? You know, you never know, you, you know, God may have allowed her to cross your path to lead her into the kingdom. Uh, but you want to be very, very careful becoming, uh, personally involved with a non-believer, because they will take your heart away, Uh and that's never a good thing. So stay online, and we'll get those out to you, okay? Okay, thank you. Steve, if you need us, call us. We're here for you. Let's go to Kimmy, Las Vegas. Hi, welcome. Aloha. Aloha. Mm-hmm.
5: How's it? How's
1: it? How's it? So- hey, good. How can we help? Hi.
5: Yeah, so my issue has been as a Kanaka I've been ridiculed and shamed for standing up for Israel. And the sad part is is these are coming from other Kanaka who claim to be Christians. Mhm. And the other thing is is right now Tulsi is getting vilified online and i'm going to wait till i get home to respond because they, one one girl said didn't you read my post everybody is unfollowing her and they have no clue it's not about followers it's not about likes it's about doing god's will what god says so i finally got to the point where I prayed about it and I just told them I want Christian first and foremost and um I don't follow what God what God says, what the Bible says that those who bless Israel shall be blessed and those who curse Israel shall be cursed. And exactly. then what what really got them is when I finally just said said broad is the road and narrow the gate. You know, many shall say, didn't I prophesy in your name? And he said, I know you not.
1: So, well, it's dear, really- that is true. And, and we do find that, that anti-Semitism, as we started the program off today, is, is probably at all time high since the second world war. And, you know, it's really sad when you continue to see such outlandish behavior. Uh, so, Um, I would, I would, you know, I would tell you that you just need to point them back to what the Bible says. Your thoughts, Jeff.
3: Yeah. It's almost like we're living in a culture, a worldwide culture that can no longer recognize evil. You know, just don't recognize pure evil when it stares you right in the face because that's Hamas. You know, it occurred to me, um, that Hamas, Has really gone one step lower than even the Nazis because the Nazis tried to hide what they did. They, they, they didn't want it out in public. They covered it up as best they could, but Hamas wants to record it, videotape it and splash it all over the world, proud of what they're doing. So that's almost a level of evil. If that were even possible below the Nazis, but it's like our world can no longer just look at something evil and say, that's evil, it must be eradicated. You know, Israel didn't start this. They did not start it. It was started by Hamas, straight up. They invaded that that uh, youth concert. They invaded the land. They began slaughtering people in cold blood, decapitating babies while their mothers were forced to watch. They did things that are hard to even repeat in words. They're so wicked. So when you see something that wicked, it is it is simple law. It's justice. It's sanity. To eradicate it. To get rid of it. You know, we wanted Nazism gone from the the world when it was discovered when the war ended. And we began to enter into these death camps, Auschwitz and the others, and what we discovered was just mind-numbing. And we wanted the the Nazis and Nazism to be totally eradicated. Everything Hitler had had his paws on, we wanted gone. Why is that different now? Hamas has done unspeakable, unfathomable, wicked, evil, satanic, demonic things to other human beings, helpless, who had nothing to do with war or fighting them, just innocent helpless human beings. So uh the very fact that it's almost like now we can look at evil and not call it evil, look right at it and fail to see it and to understand why it must be eradicated. Israel is only doing what makes sense. Why would anybody want any residue of Hamas still on the earth when they can do the things they do? It was, it was uh, unspeakable. So, um, I think that's part of it, uh, Kimmy. I think that uh, they just don't, it, it's unfortunate. We can no longer call evil, evil, while the Bible doesn't hesitate to call wicked things, wicked, evil things, evil. That's part of discernment. It's part of having common sense. It's part of thinking rationally, which our culture really uh, more and more no longer does. We only operate on emotion, if it's if it's my emotions, then it's true. If it's my feelings, then it's true. My feelings dictate my truth, not my truth my feelings. So that's where we are. It's unfortunate, but Israel, uh, to my mind, is doing exactly what they ought to do. And thank God, um, as of today, is you know our country has at least uh, verbally stood with Israel. Uh, because as we should, is if Israel collapses in the Middle East, then, uh, wow, the world, the whole world is in deep trouble. Mike? Amen. So
1: I hope that helps Kimmy again. Um, uh, when you find people that claim to be Christians, but do not understand the value of Israel, shows they're not reading their Bible. And that's unfortunate. I- again, if you go to Luke chapter 21, You'll find Jesus very clearly speaking about Jerusalem being under Jewish control in the last days um very clearly, and so you know when people try to discount that, it simply shows that they they really don't know the Bible, and that's unfortunate because uh they they lose so much of the blessing, just as you said earlier, I'll bless those. The bless thee, curse those that curse thee. It isn't because Israel has always followed God the way they should, nor today. But it's because God's promise is there to them. And because of that, that's why we as well honor that relationship as God honors it with them. And um, someday the Bible says that Israel will acknowledge Christ as their Savior, just as the Bible says. So hope that helps.
5: Yes, it does. You know, one other thing. People always telling me, why do I back up the Jewish people? They spit on Christians. So I prayed about it and I told them, no Jew has ever spit on me. So I cannot say anything. And if they do that on them, it's not on me. It's not me to judge. They're going to have to face God themselves, not me. But until someone spits on me, yeah.
1: Don't be well, even if somebody did, here's the point. Not everybody did. Um, you know, we find a lot of times people who who claim to uh know God do some pretty evil things, but that doesn't mean everybody that loves God does those things. So we want to be real careful in the way we judge. Kimmy, I hope that helps. Stay in line. I'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. Perhaps you can pass them around to your friends. We're coming up on a break, everyone. Don't go away. We'll have more right after this
0: if you are 65 or older you know this watching your hard earned dollars fly out the window on healthcare costs is frustrating well here's something that can really help and it's worth taking a minute to look into medishare 65 plus medishare is a community of christians who share each other's healthcare bills and it really is a community too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, Medicare sixty five plus is a low cost option for those with Medicare parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second month share will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833 833-90- 90 share.
5: In 2007, when Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, cried out to God, what can I do for you? The answer came loud and clear.
4: I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. But if we can get a mom into one of our clinics and show her her baby, and she has that A close encounter of the best kind in her womb. She will choose life.
5: Preborn Network of Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life.
1: two of to every man and answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire I'm your host Mike Kessler and we're going to go back to the phones we have on the line Jim in Burnswick Georgia hi and welcome
2: hi hey, how you doing good how may we help uh, I, yesterday on your show you were talking about adultery and this has been known at me for a long time I've been married more than once and I know what the Scripture says. Uh, uh, maybe I didn't know it was clear then, but I, I didn't know. I can't deny that. So I just wanted to ask ask your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I, I believe that there's uh, some ingredients here that we need to, to understand. Number one, uh, uh, you know, being remarried is not the unforgivable sin, first of all. And I think that's the first thing we have to establish. We understand that God, when He, Jesus especially, when He laid out, uh, the whole marriage thing about, about, um, except for the cause of immorality, uh, these kinds of things, you gotta remember He was describing a Levitical marriage, not the marriages that we have today. Now today, Bill can marry Steve. Uh, that isn't a biblical marriage, no matter whether the supreme court approves it or not your thoughts jeff
3: yeah you're talking about uh what's called uh, the exception clause um that's what's popularly called matthew 5 31 furthermore it's been said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce and that's the way it was up to the time of christ uh because according to jesus Moses had allowed them easy divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. So just Moses, uh, I guess made an exception or just said, you know, cause your hearts are so hard, you don't forgive one another. Uh, you know, it can't be reconciled. Then, then give her a writing of divorcement and divorce was easy, so easy that the women of Jesus time and before Jesus, were really mistreated. I mean, if the husband didn't like the way she flipped the eggs on Saturday morning, uh, he could just write up a bill of divorce, go get a couple of friends to witness the transaction, hand her the bill of divorce, and she was in the street, and she had no option. So with this, what Jesus said about divorce, he's really taking a stand uh, for women. That's why I say feminists ought to love Jesus, because femin- Jesus raised the level of womanhood, uh, I think, higher than anyone in history. Jesus raised the way women were viewed. He honored women. And so he says here, let him give her a, a writing of, of divorce. Verse 32, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except, and here comes the exception clause, sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, that exception clause is simply stating that if uh, the woman is unfaithful, then the man then and there has every right in the world to divorce. Now, again, I think also the woman. I don't know if she could have pulled this off in Jesus' day, but I think the woman... It should be allowed the same freedom. If the husband is unfaithful, she should be able to call it a day as well and divorce. If that's, if that's where one of the two wants to land, in other words, if the offended party can't forgive, doesn't want to forgive, doesn't want to work it out after sexual unfaithfulness, then they can scripturally divorce. Now I, I I'm careful here. Don't want to take too long, but I'll just, I'll tell you that I'm careful here because as a pastor of many years, I've, uh, ministered to women who were very abused. I'm talking about beat up on. I'm talking about women who are afraid for their life. I've even had to, um, get a couple of women into a shelter to escape what was their lives in danger. Uh, they, they escaped to save themselves. Now, what do you do with that? Is, is that something that if she were to divorce a man who is beating her up and, um, won't change, won't get counsel, won't get help. And it's progressing, which physical abuse tends to do. It's going from, you know, a, a slap to a bare knuckled hit to pummeling, to um, actual threats of murder, does she stay? You know, I'll leave that question to some of our uh, more profound, maybe more learned theologians than myself. But I will tell you, I would have real trouble telling a woman. As a matter of fact, I won't tell a woman, stay, go, go back home and just trust Jesus. If he's beating you half to death. No, I'm not going to do it. Because women are killed these days. And frankly, so are some men. I've known men that were almost murdered by their wives. So I think there's some answers, some questions here with the divorce issue that are, that aren't brought up by Christ. I think Jesus brought up the unfaithfulness issue because that's what was going on all the time. The the men were being promiscuous. They were committing adultery. Right and left, and yet the woman had no recourse. So Jesus here says, if he's unfaithful or she's unfaithful sexually, you can you can divorce. But it it just becomes a a, a complicated issue when you start dealing with the um, abuse uh, factor. And I'll just leave it there and give it back to Mike.
1: Yeah, and, and so I think we just have to be real careful uh, in in what that is. Um, If 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 it is not forgivable, then really Christians have no business sharing the gospel until they're on their deathbed because you never know during their life they might get a divorce and, uh, you know, then you're pretty much messed up. You know, in other words, uh, worldly people can be forgiven of their sins, but Christians can't. So therefore, a child of the devil actually has more rights to some of these people out there in their mentality than a child of God does. And that is not what the Bible teaches. So therefore it's not a a thing to uh, because the wages of sin is death. You know if we if we get into sin it's going to have a consequence. However, just because somebody it takes two to make a marriage, one to make a divorce and just because somebody can be very very unloving, very unkind, very much um uh belief style opposite to the person they married um I I I think God's merciful in those areas and um I I believe that again we we see uh God's great um grace in all of this. Now remember in the time that Jesus wrote that as well, a person could have more than one wife. So you didn't divorce a woman, you built her a little house out and back and married somebody else. Now you say, "Well, where's that in the Bible?" Everywhere. Uh what of the Old Testament patriarchs, kings, uh, that God loved, didn't have more than one wife. Am I supporting polygamy? No. I am saying, though, that when we understand the culture in which Jesus said that, there is those ingredients that have to be considered as well. And again, if a, a divorced woman in those days was pretty much destitute, you know, selling pencils on the corner in a cup, you know, kind of thing. Um, now, again, we want to be careful. The best thing to do is not get into a marriage where you shouldn't be in the first place. But if you're in a marriage, then seek God, His Word, how the best way is to navigate through that. The Bible says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And so, Jim, if you feel beat up, I believe that comes from the underworld. And again, uh, if you're a new creature in Christ, she's a new creature in Christ um live in that blessing and um and uh be determined not to repeat that problem in the future hope that helps
2: all i can say is is i know my first mar- marriage my first divorce was not justified and there's no way i can say it was it was all me she she had done nothing wrong so that's what worries me uh my second marriage Now, you talk about a woman being abusive, she would get me by the neck, shove me in the corner and cut my hair off, and uh, she was a a mean woman. Uh, Now, I was married three times. My third wife was truly my first and only true love. I didn't even want to get in the first marriage, but I was so introverted that I had to please my father and, and all this stuff and yada, yada, you know, and I should have followed my heart, but I was too weak to do that, honestly. And, but the third marriage was my first true love. And I lost her to cancer a little over two years ago, but, uh, I just, that's been worrying me and I've been on my knees and I've asked God to forgive me for adultery because I see it in the scripture and I can't deny it. So I I just want to.
3: Jim, if I could say, if the blood of Jesus can't cover adultery, can't cover mistakes like that, then what good was the blood? One time a thought came to me when I was dealing with condemnation. And here was the thought. Is your sin greater than my blood? And I had to immediately say, well, of course not. Within the thought continue. Well, then why in the world are you letting yourself live under condemnation when my blood is greater than your sin? The only unforgivable sin is to not accept Christ. That's it. And you've done that. So I would encourage you, Jim, to accept what the blood has done, walk in the truth of the blood, what the blood speaks, forgiveness, new beginning, New start, a clear conscience, all of that. And, uh, let the blood talk and not, and not your mistakes because the blood is greater than your sin.
1: Amen. Amen. Jim, can we pray for you?
2: Yes. Yes. Please.
1: Father, we just pray that you lift the burden off of him. Your word says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So, Lord, remind him of that, that you are why we go to heaven, not because we're perfect. And so, Lord, lift the burden, restore him, restore him the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our prayers are with you. Jim, stay on the line. Send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy, okay?
2: Okay. I love you guys. Thanks a lot.
1: You too, Jim, if you need us, we're here for you. Let's go to Nelson, Tampa, Florida. Hi, welcome.
4: Good evening. Um, My question is, is that um, when the rapture and the uh, time of Jacob's trouble occurs, um, I've always wondered, what's the purpose of the millennium period if people are still going to lose their salvation during that that time?
1: Um, I, I don't completely understand the question. The millennium, the millennial reign of Christ is to show, I believe, all of mankind once and for all, you have to be born again. You can live in a perfect environment, perfect food, perfect government, perfect everything, and man will still rebel against God. Friends, I, I think that's such an incredible statement, and it proves once for all to everyone that. That man is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? His heart is. Now, again, when we, we look at this, you'll find, uh, people today, um, embracing this, uh, psychobabble that, well, the reason people are bad is because they've had bad things happen to them. If you didn't ever tell a child no, he wouldn't have a negative, um, Uh, um, you know, complex, uh, inferiority complex, and so therefore he wouldn't be what he is. God puts all of mankind in a perfect environment to prove, I believe, for almost a thousand years that man must be born again. There will be people during the millennial reign of Christ that accept Christ as their Savior, and then the Bible says Satan is loose for a little while at the end, so they The people live on this planet, who've lived again in a perfect environment, perfect everything, have a choice, and they choose foolishly. The Bible says, as sand is on the seashore, they assemble themselves against Jesus there in Jerusalem. And with a word, the Lord destroys this group of people. Incredible, though, to see that people love to rebel against God, no matter how good it is. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, it's in Revelations 20 verse 7. I think what you're referring to, uh, Nelson is at the end of the millennium. It, you got to remember who's in the millennium. Well, two kinds of people are in the millennium. Uh, the born again Christians who survived the tribulation, uh, enter the millennium at the second advent of Christ when he comes to judge the nations. They enter the millennium. Uh, and uh, the second type of person is the church that returns to stop the terrible war of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. They return with him, and uh, they have glorified bodies. They are different from the regular normal human beings that will enter the millennium that survive the tribulation period. So you have two kinds of people. Now, those that return with Christ that have been raptured beforehand will have glorified bodies. They they will not be reproducing. They will not be married. But they will be like the angels in heaven. But those that enter the millennium from the tribulation will, in fact, marry. They will have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on and so forth. And this will go on for a thousand years. Now, Jesus, meanwhile, is ruling the millennium. Out of Jerusalem, scepter of righteousness with a rod of iron, Uh, he's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Uh, Because he's ruling out of Jerusalem, then there is peace on earth. You know, your swords are beat into plowshares, and and we know war no longer, as Isaiah said. But at the end of that millennium, you've got a a total world, The, the entire world is populated. Now, uh, with generations of human beings and many of those have never, ever personally accepted Christ. They go with his rule because they've got to, because he's, he's Lord. It's a, it's a, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's, I, I hate to frame it this way, but it's a, it's a righteous, kingly, royal rule where what Jesus says goes and um but at the end of that millennium Satan's released we don't know for how long we don't know um how long it takes for him to amass the nations but it says in revelation 20 verse 8 that he goes out to deceive the nations in all the four corners of the earth and then he names Gog and Magog. Well I think John is simply using Gog and Magog to harken back to Ezekiel 38 and he's using that as a symbol for um the way that that uh, end of the millennial time period, humanity, much of that humanity will be against Christ in their hearts. And Satan is able to ignite them into rebellion. And the Bible says they go up on the breath of the earth and they come down against the holy city, Jerusalem, like a swarm. And God wipes them out. Fire comes down from God and devours them. And that's the end. The devil at that point is thrown into the lake of fire, along with the beast and the false prophet, and that's the end of the devil forever. That's it. But that's how the millennial ends. But keep in mind, Nelson, to sort of settle your mind, the ones who rebel this way were under the rule of Christ, but not in their hearts. They were never born again. Those are the ones that come under judgment, not the genuine Christians.
1: So I hope that, uh, I hope that uh, answers it for you. Does that? Yeah,
4: that does now. Yes. Yes, it does.
1: Well, good. And, and, uh, I'll tell you what, stay on the line and I'll send you out the movie Jesus, uh, Time to Grow and a end time series by Chuck Missler on the book of Revelation. I think you'll really enjoy that. I've got just a couple of them to give away and, I'll give one to you, Nelson, for calling in. So stay online; We'll get you fixed up, okay? God bless you. Well, God bless you, and thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Peter Sitka, Alaska. Hi, welcome. Hello. Yeah, I was
4: wondering where the original um, painting or portrait of Jesus came from. It appears a lot of times that he's um, um, Caucasian or white, so mm-hmm. I was just wondering—
1: No, he was Jewish, and we remember when he went to Nazareth in the Bible, in the book of Luke, that there he read in the sanctuary, uh, in the, in the temple, um, a passage out of the Old Testament, and Jesus, after finished reading it, says, this has come true in your ears today. And they said, only the Messiah can, uh, fulfill that. And with that, they went to push Jesus over the cliff, and the Bible says he disappeared into the crowd. Now, I think that's very significant, because Jesus, they didn't say, get the one with the halo, or get the one that uh, glows in the dark, or get the one with blonde hair and blue eyes. No, it says he disappeared into the crowd, which means he looked, I believe, very much like everybody else that was Jewish in those days. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, he was a Galilean Jew. He was of the tribe of Judah. Uh, there's there's no question he was uh, Semitic. He was Jewish. Now, today, especially with this Hamas thing that has come on the scene so heavily in the last month, the whole uh, Islamic um, Jewish conflict reaching all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael, the ancient hatred, it's reared its ugly head again. So there's a, there's a movement out there. Many in, of the Islamic persuasion are trying to insist that Jesus was Palestinian, that Jesus was uh, Arabic, that Jesus was not Jewish, uh, that he was Arabic born into a Jewish family. I don't know how you, you pull that off, but uh, things like that. So, um, there is an attempt to convince the world that even Jesus was not one of the despised Jews because there's such Jew hatred sweeping the world right now. It's just stunning. We were talking about at the beginning of the show. It's just stunning to me. Uh, wow, that even Germany's gone there again. It's just, it's unbelievable. But because there's such hatred of the Jewish people now, there is a movement to redefine Jesus and to cast him as an Arab and a descendant of Ishmael, but he was not. He's descended from Isaac and the tribe of Judah and is a Galilean Jew. And uh, that's all there is to it. That's the only way the Bible paints him and presents him. And I think a lot of people today, if they were to see an actual picture of the real Jesus, would be disappointed. Because even Isaiah said there's no beauty in him. That we would desire him. In other words, he was not a looker. He was not handsome. He was not a standout physique. He was not a he was not a Hollywood handsome individual. He blended in the crowd, as Mike was uh, just uh, saying. Uh, he he blended into the crowd. He looked like every other Jewish guy out there. I think what made Jesus so incredibly magnetic, where he could walk up to say Matthew, a tax collector, and say, "Follow me." And he literally dropped everything, dropped his whole business and walked off and followed Jesus, as well as the disciples left, left their fishing gear, their boats and their father and started following Jesus. No questions asked. I think Jesus magnetism had to do with his, the holiness that he exuded, uh, the authority that was so spiritual that was upon him. Um, The anointing of the presence of God that emanated from him, his winsome, wonderful, loving, compassionate personality, his boundless wisdom. I think all of those things were part and parcel of the overall package that was Jesus and why people followed him. But it was not his looks. But he was a Galilean Jew. Hope that helps yeah it was just um so
4: orig- i mean, um, so the pictures we see, like if we go you know walking into somebody's house and they have a picture of Jesus, that's somebody's idea of what he might
1: yes, look like absolutely like oh, yeah. there was no there was no cameras back then, <laughs> yeah. uh nobody has an oil painting of him or anything like that, so I hope that helps,
3: yeah, it does,
4: thank you so much,
1: God bless you, thanks so much for the costtail I Wolves. Get you taken care of with some books and DVDs. Let's go to Chad, Dallas, Texas, and we're almost out of time. Quickly, Chad, can you ask your question? And I don't hear Chad. So wow. Well, Jeff, uh, You're I don't right. think we have a, y- y- yeah. Um, man, I, I really appreciate you being on today and answering so many good questions.
3: Hey, it was great questions. And you know, we're in a incredible battle. I never, Mike, I've grown up here as, as you have. I'm, I'm American head to toe. I've never seen America in greater confusion or, or spiritual darkness than today. And you look at all over the world, what's going down. Uh, you know, quickly I saw a riot in U- the UK, for instance, so many pro Hamas people, uh, marching in this, sh- a hundred thousand of them that the police were overwhelmed and, and could do nothing. We're, we're in a dark world. We we are Christ.
1: Amen. Remember, Jesus said when you begin to see these things, look up in Matthew chapter 24, your redemption draws nigh. So I tell everybody, keep looking up. We're looking for the upper taker. So until tomorrow, God bless you and good night. To find
0: out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Everyman and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226